Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. I am your host Anna Marsh and today I'm going to be talking about how to support a loved one with chronic fatigue or chronic illnesses in general. This podcast um, is actually coming from a blog series which I wrote in January after being prompted through social media um, by a client of mine and just by followers in general about the issue of support and relationships and feeling understood and feeling supported in one's health journey. And I wanted to convert this, well, convert the blog that I wrote into a podcast because I know that different people receive information differently. Sometimes it's nice to just be able to listen to something instead of have to read loads and loads of text. So know that there is also a blog available on my website where I cover similar material to what I'm going to discuss today. So you can always send that to people in your life who may need to receive this message Obviously, you can share the podcast as well if that's helpful. This is going to be a two-part series because there's actually a lot of information to share and I appreciate that it could potentially be quite overwhelming. So I've broken it down into two parts, but it is for both the person with chronic illness and for the loved ones and supporters of the chronic illness experiencer. So it's to help the loved ones of those experiencing a chronic illness to understand how they can be more supportive. And it's also for the person with the chronic illness experience to communicate their needs better and also to help them allow themselves to receive support and help in a way that is meaningful to them. So it's for everyone. And even though in specific parts of the podcast, I'll be talking maybe a little bit more to the chronic illness experiencer or maybe a little bit more to the supporter, it's really important that you listen to the whole series and the whole episode because this feeling of not feeling supported, it's not just an issue with someone who has a chronic illness. It's a human problem. Human beings can feel under-supported in their lives and in their relationships, irrespective of their health status. And therefore, if you are the illness experiencer or you are the supporter, you are all aspects of this is probably going to be applicable because we play different roles in different relationships in our lives. And so this is framed in the frame of chronic illness, but it is something that should just generally help you with your relationships in life. And um, it's an opportunity for growth and an opportunity to bring people closer together, whatever the situation or the circumstance. So before we dive into the actual text or the actual content, what I will say is that no one likes to be told what to do. And no one likes to be told that they're doing things wrong or they're messing things up. And because ultimately we can receive that is you're not good enough or I am not good enough. And if I am not good enough, I will not be loved. And feeling love and feeling connection is one of our deepest and most important human needs. And when that need is under threat, we can maybe become defensive. We can become angry. We can become frustrated. 
We may go into avoidance, for example, not wanting to continue listening here. We can go into projection. You know, this is for other people, not for me. I'm fine. We can go into numbing or dissociating or just checking out. So the podcast is playing, but you're not really listening. Or we can go into judgment, shame or blame of ourselves or of others. So I begin here by saying if you notice any of those behaviors happening, understand that this is a sign that your system is entering into dysregulation. And there's nothing wrong with dysregulation, but it's something that you want to become aware of because then it's an encouragement that you need to slow things down. You need to give a little bit more space. You need to do something perhaps that helps to soothe and comfort you and then gently come back to the podcast, listen a little bit more. Even though I've broken this down into two parts, you don't have to listen to the whole of part one and the whole of part two you can just listen to this at a pace that works well for you. So my encouragement is that you proceed with a curious mind. None of us are perfect and we all have our faults, but it is through the willingness to self-inquire that we can strengthen ourselves and we can strengthen our relationships and we can cultivate love and connection in our lives. And that love and connection and healthy relationships are so important for healing and by you being here and listening to this and doing any work on yourself off of the back of this, you are working on your healing journey. This this is part of your healing. So where I will begin is to say that there is no hierarchy when it comes to pain. Having a chronic illness experience disrupts every single aspect of our lives. It interferes with us mentally, physically, emotionally, socially, financially, relationally, and everything else in between. And this is true for both the person experiencing the illness and the closest family members of the person experiencing the illness, for example, the supporters. Because when someone becomes ill, the relationship changes. Maybe you can no longer do the things that you used to do together, the things that you used to connect over. There may be changes in the family dynamics. Somebody has to pick up more of the day-to-day jobs or childcare. Maybe there's an impact on finances and that impacts what's available, what resources are available within the family home. So everybody is experiencing a change. And everybody is experiencing the loss of life as it was before. And yes, one person is experiencing also the loss of their health, but everybody is experiencing loss. And therefore, there is grief. And as each person moves through their grief in a way that works for them, a way that their body and nervous system has learned how, they're not going to necessarily be the best supporters for each other. And this doesn't mean that you you cannot support each other, but it might mean that each person, the supporter and the chronic illness experience, needs support outside of those primary relationships so that they have capacity to support each other in the ways that they can. And this is probably a 
big mistake that I made early on in my journey is in my gut, in my intuition, in my body, I knew that I needed support outside of the primary relationship with my husband, but I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know where to turn to. And um, that really impacted our relationship. And now I have the most amazing somatic therapist and I just wish that I had that support at the time, but I didn't even know that was what I needed at the time. So my encouragement here is just find the ways that you can to support yourself. And that could look different depending on you as a person and what resources you have available and what finances you have available. But it could be yoga, meditation, time in nature, therapy, group therapy, support groups, coaching, there's lots of different things. Make sure that both you as the illness experiencer and you as the supporter or the primary supporters or the closest friends of the person experiencing the illness are looking after yourselves so that you have the capacity to be there to support the other. And so then the next thing I'd like to go into is this concept of relationship stress tests. And it's very easy when things start to fall apart, when someone becomes ill, because we're not getting the support that we need, it's very easy to point the finger and blame the illness or blame the other person for how the relationship has broken down. And yes, circumstances do change when someone becomes ill. And yes, that change can bring extra challenges. But my encouragement is to see the illness as merely a stressor that has revealed the inherent weaknesses in the relationship. And nobody likes to hear that this their relationship was weak or there were problems in their relationship. So this is one of those moments where you may just want to slow down, pause, take a little bit of time to digest. But... Life has its ups and downs, it has its trials and tribulations, grief, loss, financial hardship, disastrous events, and it has illness and someone in the relationship can become ill. And it's easy when everything is going well, when, you know, there's money and there's life is running smoothly and everyone is in good health and everybody is excelling and achieving and doing really well. It's easy for it to feel like things are good, things are great, there's no issues. But it's often in those very challenging times when the relationship gets stressed that the chinks in our armor reveal themselves. And you can see this as a problem that needs to be fixed, or you can see this as an opportunity to grow and develop and become stronger. Just like when we exercise, we stress a muscle and then it grows and it becomes stronger and then we have more resilience. This is an opportunity for you to grow your resilience, which means that, you know, you can look at blaming or shaming or withdrawing, or you can say, you know, how do we work on this as a team to become stronger through this challenging experience? And what I'd like to do now is just highlight the dynamics that may be happening in the relationships. And in order to do that, I need to talk a little bit about something which is known as attachment dynamics. So attachment dynamics refers to the different attachment styles that we may have as individuals. 
And these attachment styles are often shaped by our early childhood experiences and they influence the way that we relate to each other as individuals. So we have two sort of broad categories. We have secure attachment and we have insecure attachment. And secure attachment is usually developed when the primary caregivers of the child were regulated and able to meet our needs for um, mental needs, emotional needs, physical needs most of the time. And the reason for this is when a baby is born, it doesn't have the ability to self-regulate. So it relies on the primary caregivers to learn self-regulation. And if the primary caregivers are regulated in themselves, that regulatory capacity develops well. And the overall sort of sense within the individual and within the individual's nervous system is, I'm okay and you're okay. So there's a positive view of self, there's a positive view of others, and then usually relationally, there's um, a, a, just a general sense of safety and positivity. And this individual is usually able to meet their needs really well, both internally, you know, they're quite self-sufficient, but also externally, they can reach out and ask for help and there's no challenges there. In contrast, we have insecure attachment. So insecure attachment happens when the primary caregiver of the child was not reliable enough. It doesn't mean they were completely unreliable, but the emotional, physical, and mental needs of the child were unmet more of the time. It doesn't mean they were unmet all of the time, but they were unmet more of the time. And therefore that ability to self-regulate develops a little bit differently. And there may be certain tendencies. For example, there may be a tendency more to an anxious attachment style, which is when the individual perceives the other as safe. And they can only really feel okay when the other person is okay. There may be a tendency towards avoidant attachment style. That's when the individual learns to be self-sufficient in their safety. So they can meet their needs internally quite well but they may struggle to reach out and depend on others so it's this idea of I'm okay but you're not okay and therefore they often create a sense of safety through avoidance of the other. Then we have disorganized attachment which is where there's not a there's not an anxious attachment there's not an avoidant attachment so nowhere is actually safe the, the individual cannot meet their needs internally the individual cannot meet their needs externally. So there's no sense of safety and regulation. And these types of people are the people who do tend to be more prone to chronic illness because of the inherent dysregulation in the nervous system. So what has this got to do with this podcast and how we receive and experience support? Well, I think first and foremost, it's really helpful for us to understand our own attachment styles, whether you are the chronic illness experiencer or the supporter of someone with chronic illness. It's just, it can be helpful just to be like, okay, yeah, I'm a little bit anxious or I'm a little bit more of an avoidant because knowing how you are and then how your the other person in the relationship is can really start to help you understand the dynamics that might be at play. And you need each other. You need to work together as a team, or at least I hope you want to work together as a team. And 
in order to do so, there has to be some sort of awareness of self. And so if the anxious person can take um, take ownership of that part and the avoidant person can take ownership of that part and you can start to just have a space in the relationship for these parts that don't feel safe, that's going to potentially begin to get the cogs turning in creating a greater sense of safety and then healthier relationship dynamics. The anxious, more anxious attachment style needs to learn to support themselves. So in the case of a chronic illness experiencer, if the chronic illness experiencer feels very anxious, they may constantly be reaching out for support. Now, if the partner or the supporter is secure in their attachment style, they probably have a good capacity to be there to support the reaching out. But the anxious illness experiencer may also sometimes also need to learn to hold space for their own experience so that they're not overwhelming the partner by constantly reaching out, constantly reaching out and not necessarily learning to contain and self-regulate. And I'll talk more about how we do that in a moment. If the chronic illness experiencer is avoidant, they may find it difficult to reach out and ask for help. They may be very self-sufficient, which means there may be a sense of withdrawal if they do ask for help and that, or they do reach out and they do make a bid for connection. And if that's not met, if they don't feel understood, if their needs are not met, they may withdraw further. And that's going to create a disconnection in the relationship and then a feeling of not being supported. Then if we look at the dynamics of the supporter, the supporter, if the supporter has an anxious attachment style, they need the other person in the relationship, in this case, the chronic illness experiencer, to be okay for them to be okay. So now if the person with the chronic illness says, I'm having a really bad day, this is really hard, they may feel overwhelmed by the experience of the chronic illness experiencer and that's going to be really uncomfortable for them. So to, in order for them to feel okay, they need the person with the chronic illness to feel okay, which means that they may try to jump in and fix the situation. And that can look, you know, come across in various different ways, but ultimately it overrides the need for connection of the person experiencing the chronic illness. On the flip side, if the supporter is avoidant, they may, there's this idea, I'm okay and you're not okay. And if the chronic illness experiencer is not doing okay, is not having a good day, then that reaffirms that dynamic. I'm okay, you're not okay. And this, that can also exacerbate the withdrawal because the person with the avoidant attachment style feels overwhelmed by the emotional experience of the person who's having the chronic illness. So then we also get moving away, disconnection, and then we lose connection in the relationship and we need that connection for healing. So ultimately, the work doesn't lie in the supporters. The work doesn't lie in the illness experiencer alone. The work relies on both parties to take care of their needs and to take care of their nervous systems independently 
and together as a couple or a partnership or a friendship or whatever that relationship dynamic is that, that you experience the most. And this is where we need teamwork and an understanding of the parts that each individual is trying to heal and to hold space for that in the relationship dynamic so that um, we can work as a team and we can heal together. And here I'll just kind of summarize that the common dynamic that often happens is that the illness experiencer is often not good at communicating their needs and asking for help. And they may feel really misunderstood because chronic illness is misunderstood. And things like chronic fatigue syndrome is particularly misunderstood. So there may be little bids for for asking for help and little bids for connection. And if those are not being met, then they may either become increasingly anxious if they're an anxious attachment style or increasing, increasingly withdrawn if they are more of an avoidant attachment style. And of course, if it's a disorganized attachment style, it's probably just going all over the place. The supporter may feel discomfort in the pain of the person experiencing the illness, which ultimately looks like trying to fix and sort of steamroll over the emotional experience or trying to withdraw. And basically what's happening is that the illness experiencer might be reaching out, asking for connection. That attempt or bid for connection is going unmet because there's this fixing or withdrawing happening. Or the, the, the supporter is trying to help, but their, their attempts to help are not being received or are not what the, support, the chronic illness experiencer actually needs. And then there's a sense of rejection, like I tried to help you, but you didn't want it, or you told me I was doing it wrong, or you criticized me or told me I needed to do this, that, or the other. And because they feel then defensive and rejected, there'll be more withdrawal, and then we lose that connection. So where I'd like to go to next is how we break this cycle. And in order to do that, um, I first of all want to talk through the survey results that I did when I was researching for this piece of work. So this is a survey I did on Instagram. It was a very popular survey, as you can imagine, has probably been one of my most popular surveys I've done. I think we had close to 50 people complete the survey, which means that technically it's science because you need... 30 people in a study to have um, a good scientific outcome. So um, that's what we've got here. But I asked three questions and I'll talk through the results of each of these questions and then expand on the results a little bit more. The first question was, do your loved ones support you in your journey? And fantastically, 39% of people said conclusively, yes. 32% said no. And 29% said, I feel supported, but not as much as I would like. So that meant that a total of 61%, more than half of the people who responded, didn't feel supported enough or felt under-supported in their journey. Now here, it does not say, supporters, it's your fault. It also doesn't say, chronic illness experiences, this is your fault. So it doesn't tell us, what is going on in the dynamic and my suspicions are it's not one person's fault it's not the other person's fault we're not blaming anyone but it's probably a dynamic in both parties that needs to shift as I've already discussed so 
that the supporter knows how to support better and the person who is experiencing the support knows how to communicate their needs better and knows also how to let that support in because sometimes support is being offered but not received. So then the next question I asked was, what stops you feeling supported? 21% of people said, I don't feel understood generally. 24% of people said, lack of understanding about fatigue specifically. 12% said, I'm not good at asking for help. And then 43% said all of the above. And so I'll come into that in a little bit more detail. But then finally, I asked, what type of support do you need the most? And 36% said emotional attunement. 24% said more help with physical tasks around the home. Only 6%, which actually surprised me, said that they would like more financial support. And perhaps that's a reflection of my bias because that was something that I would have wanted more of in my journey. And 34% said moral support and the encouragement to heal. So a quarter of people just wanted more physical help around the house. And I didn't ask the details of what that would be specifically. But if you are a supporter and you're listening to this, maybe a question you could ask the person you are supporting is, is there anything physical I can do for you you know do you need me to cook do you need me to clean do you need me to wash up do you need me to you know move the furniture whatever it might be you know 24% of people said that they needed more of that so it's a good opportunity to sit down and talk with the person you're supporting and just say you know is there anything that you need more help with physically it's one question it's an easy conversation to have I'll be talking more in the next part in the series about communication. So if you feel that you still need help with that, stay tuned. But that's just a really simple thing that you could ask that may make a difference to the person you are supporting. But 70% of people were asking for something that was intangible and needed to be felt. So when we had this idea of, I don't feel understood generally, lack of understanding about fatigue specifically, and then I'm not good at asking for help, all of the above. A lot of those do relate to the intangibles. You know, 70% asking for something that isn't measurable, but needs to be felt. And I'm going to talk more about this, but also just to say that a lot of chronic illness is associated with a freeze state in the nervous system. And when someone is frozen, it's difficult for them to feel. And so we've got this, I guess, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for us. Is it a, a sort of dichotomy? Yes, a dichotomy of two things that are in opposition to one another, where we've got someone who is potentially in a, whose nervous system, shall I say, is potentially in a default state of freeze as a coping mechanism, which means they can't feel a lot. And what they're really asking for is something that needs to be felt. So this is where we want to start to begin to understand the nervous system and understand that part of feeling supported is to be able to connect to our body and to connect to the sensations within the body so that we can actually feel the support that is being offered. Even if it's not exactly the support that we want, 
we can feel the intent, the positive intent behind what is available, that can also go a long way to building connection and feeling supported. My take on the survey data is what was being asked for was emotional attunement. Most people were asking for being understood. They were asking for um, attunement and holding and an understanding of their emotional experience. And attunement is being aware of and responding to the emotions of another person. And it's the process by which we form close relationships. It is the essential component that allows us to feel close and connected to others. And I would argue that feeling close and connected is the gateway to feeling understood, whether that's understood generally or understood in the context of the specific health challenge that you are facing. So given this definition of attunement, most people just wanted to feel a sense of connection. And I already described to you how the dynamics based on attachment styles often play out of two people who are essentially moving away from each other at a time when they need each other most. Most when what's really being asked for is to be seen on a deeper level, to be understood and to have somebody hold space for the experience. And to hold space means to be fully present and to witness someone without the need to fix, change or interfere with their experience. And I've tended to this concept in different ways, but it's the difference between expressing as the chronic illness experiencer, this is really hard and I feel scared and I feel alone. And then receiving from the supporter, have you taken your supplements today? What about that practitioner you spoke to last week? Do you think you just need to like push through or maybe you should go back to the doctor again? I mean, these could potentially be helpful suggestions, and I have absolutely no doubt that they're also coming from a place of positive intent. But they're skipping over the emotional experience, and they're going straight to the solution or the fix. So compare that to, this is really hard, I feel scared and alone, and then being met by, I cannot even imagine how hard this is for you. I see you showing up every day and you do your best and I don't want you to know I'm here for you. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about your fears? So in that sentence, we've got attunement, inquiry, a bid for connection. There's no unsolicited advice. There's no questioning. Have you been doing this? Have you been doing that? Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. So emotional attunement is actually the essence of what I teach in the Nurturing Resilience program that I run. And one of the most important things to understand is that unless you can hold space and attune for your own experiences, you will struggle to do this for another. So translated into the context of this podcast today, what it really means is that the supporter, the person supporting the person with chronic illness, must learn to connect with themselves. They want to be able to hold space for their own emotional experiences. And in doing so, they will build the capacity to then hold space and witness the experiences of the person they are supporting, the chronic illness experiencer. And this circles back to what I said in the beginning about we all need the ways, we all need to receive support in ways 
that are outside of the dynamic of support or chronic illness experience it because we need to have just we need to support ourselves first before we have the capacity to support another it's that whole cliche of put your own oxygen mask on first so the supporter you want to be putting your own oxygen mask on first and how you do that specifically is through tending to your own nervous system we often think that nervous system work is for the chronically ill but nervous system work is for everyone because most of us unless we've been really blessed with fantastic experiences in life have all got our own trauma and coping mechanisms and attachment styles we have developed as a consequence in the context of the chronic illness experience of the supported they must learn to hold space for themselves and connect to themselves and find a sense of independence and this probably speaks a little bit more to the anxious and um, disorganized attachment style because this person may constantly be seeking outside of themselves for support where there may be a need to support their own emotional experience from the inside but if there's this is someone who is more avoidant in their attachment style or somebody who is in a deep freeze it can feel very unsafe to be witnessed and understood and supported especially someone who is self-reliant and highly independent learning to receive support is part of the healing process so here again we need the nervous system work to feel safe enough to be witnessed feel safe enough to be seen feel safe enough to be understood feel safe enough to be supported and have a connection with the body so that when support is offered we can really feel and experience it and that comes from thawing out the freeze so what i'm really talking about in all of this is nervous system work and this nervous system work is not only applicable to the individual with the illness but it's applicable to the individual with the supporter and there's lots of different books and programs that you can do to support your nervous system as far as what i offer i have the nurturing resilience group program but i say to my clients or i say to my group members share this information with your loved ones they need to know it as well um so that uh, together as a team you are growing learning and expanding in your own ways so that is where i'll wrap up for today hope you have enjoyed listening to this so far in the next episode which will be part 2 of the series we'll talk about needs communications and i'll talk you through a framework called the hierarchy of relationships which is a framework for how we view relationships and um how our expectations are framed by how we view relationships so until then i hope you have a wonderful fatigue recovery day if you think it will be helpful please share this podcast with other people in your chronic illness community and maybe their supporters too and obviously if you have enjoyed the show please leave me a review on iTunes it helps other people find the podcast and get the support they need i will see you in the next episode